Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology Podcast on all things ophthalmology brought to you by Mayo Clinic. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea Tooley. And I'm Dr. Eric Bothan. We're here to bring you the latest and greatest in ophthalmology, medicine, and more. Dr. Anjali Bagra is the Professor of Medicine and the Medical Director of the Office of Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity here at the Mayo Clinic. Today we have the opportunity to talk to her about her work in the space of resilience, decreasing stress and anxiety, health aging through optimism, life work integration, equity, and inclusion. We're excited to have her here on the podcast. Dr. Anjali Bagra is a professor of medicine and medical director for the Office of Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity at Mayo Clinic. She's a national and international thought leader, educator, mentor, social advocate, and speaker on topics like resilience, leadership, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Dr. Bagra is recipient of the prestigious Kasari Woman of the Year Award in India for her contributions in equity and social advocacy, as well as numerous awards for education excellence. She is a clinical investigator with expertise in sex-specific differences in well-being and resilience. Welcome, Dr. Bagra. Oh, thank you so much, Drs. Thule and Bothan. It's such a pleasure to be here. You are quite a leader in so many areas and spaces, as it was just sharing. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Because it just seems like we could spend five podcasts talking about each of them. Yes. But share about your journey of what's brought you to this point in your career and what gives you passion Yeah, well, that's such a great question, and I never miss a chance to reminisce the path that I've traced so fondly and learned so much with amazing mentors at Mayo. So I essentially came to the United States along with my husband approximately 20-some years ago now. We both trained here at Mayo Clinic. I was just blown away by the mission and the vision and really how Mayo Clinic works. The needs of the patients come first was, it's just something that, you know, gets embedded in you the minute you walk in this organization. I grew up most of my earlier life, first two decades, so I grew up in India, and I got inspired to become a physician because I used to go and work with my grandfather in my summer holidays, who was a physician, and I just constantly saw him do what our male values teach us to do. But fast forward, went through training. Much of that was, I would say, you know, kind of going with the flow, acquiring knowledge. So didn't quite make the connect as such, but training at Mayo and really getting exposed to our values and seeing how we really bring hope and healing to people just was incredibly inspiring. And during training, I got exposed to amazing mentorship by mentors within internal medicine, outside of internal medicine. And really, as a resident, as a trainee, I felt like I had a voice to create solutions, be part of solutions at Mayo. So all in all, I felt empowered. I felt the infectious energy at Mayo Clinic, and there was no looking back. For me, it was clear that I wanted to be part of this mission-driven work, this values-aligned practice of medicine. So that's how both my husband and I, we've never looked back and really enjoyed the journey. Professionally, within the practice of medicine, my clinical practice evolved quite a bit in the journey from being a medical detective, very passionate about imaging, point-of-care technologies to really help patients at the bedside 
to really getting more interested in the science of human suffering and what are some tools to bring at the bedside. How do we humans overall come into this as a physician or a patient, as a parent, being more resilient? So I got really interested in that. So trained in mindfulness, biofeedback, saw patients, did a lot of programming with our learners around well-being and resilience. And also along the way, I found myself at the intersection of well-being, joy, and inclusion. And that's how my journey in the equity, inclusion, and the diversity field kind of started very early on in residency, again, thanks to great mentors. But then coming on as staff, very quickly I realized that being part of a solution needs a lot of skills. (laughs) And Mayo just allows you to be different, to have your own path. And I was able to acquire the training, the necessary skills, create networks, create sisterhood, expanded um, coalitions both within and outside of Mayo. So very, very fortunate to experience that. And I would say all along the way, what really gave me true joy was giving back, working with our trainees. So education has always been like a big part of my professional journey at Mayo. I would say alongside parenting and raising kids in the city of Rochester has been awesome. The extended community here, truly diverse, global, thriving community has been a real joy. You've done so much tremendous work. It's really cool to hear about. And we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, and I think I have a lot to learn. So in my mind, I see some of your work with resilience, mindfulness, joy, suffering, as a split between the patient side of things and Mm -hmm. then the physician side of things. And when we talk about well-being and burnout and resilience as a physician, to me that seems really different than well-being and resilience, joy and suffering as a patient. How do you approach those practices in two different ways? How does your research combine those two? Mm -hmm. Or are they different? Or are they all the same picture of humanity? Yeah, that's such a great question, Dr. Tooley. I think fundamentally, human suffering is human suffering. Human joy is human joy. Now, we all wear different uniforms or we, you know, we exchange identities. I've been a patient. I've suffered physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain as a patient. You know, my kids have been sick, so I've suffered by proxy physical, emotional, spiritual pain. And as a physician, as a clinician, I have seen the challenges our profession just brings, structural challenges, um, availability of resources, whether they are tangible resources versus my spiritual bandwidth to remain committed to my goal. So I think we we go through different identities, but fundamentally, you know, at the core, it's human suffering and human joy. So I do want to begin with that. I would say the difference, though, lies in empowerment and our responsibility. So as a patient, when I come to the clinic seeking care, I just lay myself bare as a vulnerable human who's suffering, putting all my trust in people treating me. And that is to be able to trust, to be able to put your trust within your healthcare providers is a big thing. I cannot do it better at any other place than Mayo. When I'm getting care at Mayo, I know that I'm getting the best care every day because I know fundamentally this is how this organization runs. 
I could be having a certain amount of physical suffering, but the fact that I am being cared by people who are invested in my healing, in my joy, in my recovery is very comforting to me. Now, what that does, now I've flipped my role as a physician. I know that my patients are looking at me. They depend on me. And it's a place of great privilege. It's a great place of great privilege. It's a place of power and responsibility. And I feel like in our day-to-day lives, that in itself can be stressful. Somebody putting all their trust in me, I want to make sure I'm doing everything that's That's in my power to deliver on that. So I would say there is a little bit of that psychological size difference as a patient versus as a physician. However, the tools that I use as a human being are not different. I know that as a patient, for me to recover, I need to bring my best self to the table to be able to partner with my physician. So I'm doing my best to get better. And the physician can't help me if I'm not leaning in as a patient who's willing to put in the cognitive energy and, you know, whatever it is I need to do. Now, as a physician, I feel there is moral responsibility. And one thing I I like to sort of clarify up front is that resilience is not the antidote to burnout. You know, that should be very clear. There are systemic issues that come in the way of how we would like to provide care to our patients. And that may have to do with something completely out of our control, such as their insurance status, you know, how they are coming in, their ability to make it to appointments, transportation, like so many different things, right? So when the patient ultimately comes to us, we want to do what's in their best interest. And sometimes there are limitations to resources available to be able to do that effectively. I think that leads to moral injury. Now, the solution in that situation is not like, oh, you should be more resilient. That is wrong, (laughs) first off. But I feel the nature of our field, the fact that we are amidst human suffering so close, we see loss of life, and we are a rock star culture. You know, we want to do the best for our patients every day, and despite the best that we do, we know there will be outcomes where we're going to see suffering, loss of life, and morbidity. I think that's where resilience comes in. As human beings, how do we draw the right boundaries so we can continue to derive joy from the profession versus just really losing hope some days? Mm-hmm. You talked about how from a patient perspective, you lay yourself bare, and it gives you comfort, it gives you a sense of teamwork or just support when you know or trust that your care team is able to, or providing mm-hmm. that comes to the table with that. And you, you shared how there's a different role that the physician, a different level of emotional and physical and spiritual effort and journey that the physician has. But similarly, as a physician, I, I, you hear this time and time again, I think less at the Mayo Clinic than other places, but mm-hmm. that the physician lays themselves bare for their patient. And just like you were saying that the patient's journey feels or the patient may feel less suffering in their journey when they feel part of a care team that is working with them and for them. I sense that a a lot of physicians feel that their practices have changed and their groups they're in and the mega corporations that control healthcare are not supporting the physicians that are laying themselves bare. Mm -hmm. So sometimes my sense of burnout or moral injury is less about the physician being a good physician Mm -hmm. Um, and more about the sense that 
they're suffering by working with a system that isn't helping them aid the patient. So I think it's fascinating at the end, you brought it back to that. Mm -hmm. The physician wants to be able to provide that care and mm -hmm. it's sometimes difficult to do so. Yeah. In that sphere, you used a couple terms. I just like your thoughts because I pick your brain. Is there the burnout versus moral injury? I know some people have shared those mm -hmm. as the same and then other people distinguish. How would you see those yeah. two terms as similar or different? Yeah, I would say burnout is like an umbrella, you know, and moral injury is a part okay. of the spectrum of burnout. So it's kind of like if you draw a Venn diagram, I would put like moral injury within okay. like the big umbrella of burnout. Now, you raised such an incredibly important point here, which is, and I would say as I've grown into my practice, my first decade of practice is different than my second decade of practice because... I can use the mind-body principles, and I feel more comfortable being vulnerable as a physician. My first five years of practice, you know, I needed to have an answer for every question. Otherwise, I wasn't a competent or good physician, right? But over time, having built these skills and really having a more solid understanding of human suffering and where we all play a role in alleviating it, and sometimes... The solution is not trying to just come in and boil the ocean and find a solution, but being the partner with your patient and sitting in the discomfort with them yeah. and holding their hands with authentic vulnerability about here are our tools, here is what we can offer you, and here is where we can we need to think about alternative ways. Yeah, yeah I cannot give you a definitive diagnosis with my currently available tools of medical uh, you know, diagnoses and detection, but I can make you feel better. It's very important to lean into our vulnerabilities and having a good communication system with our patients. I feel more than anything, resilience has taught me how to be a more authentic communicator. And I would say at Mayo Clinic, there are two things. My North Star at Mayo Clinic is we are a values-driven organization. There is never a conflict in my head that I will do that whatever is best for my patient. There's no incentive. We have a very like fair way of compensation at Mayo. Like we don't have those kind of external drivers or motivators. So it is very clear to me when I have that discussion with my patients that your needs are the only needs that matter to me right now. Mm -hmm. So we are values driven. And the second is we are one of a kind integrated medical practice where we have created the capability to address one of the most complex and serious illnesses. That is a very amazing place to be. We can rely on teams. I'm not doing this work alone. And I am openly leaning on teams that will help me do the best thing for my patient. I don't need to be the one who needs to have all the answers. I can call Dr. Bothan if it's a strabismus question or a proptosis question. You know what I mean? Like I feel like just practicing in this environment has really helped me understand the power of teamwork in yep. medicine. And the other thing it's really helped me reflect on, and honestly, that's what I feel is our responsibility as leaders now is to create that value proposition of being in healthcare. We are so privileged, like we can impact health and healing of communities across the globe. 
by virtue of really working collectively as a team at Mayo Clinic. That is very powerful. How many of us get to go to jobs that are our callings, where our impact is for the greater good of the human society? That's powerful. Oh, it really is. So much of what you're saying really resonates with me. And, and it's I've found, too, especially being a junior faculty, this is my fourth year on staff, that the more authentic and honest I am with my patients, the more it decreases my stress mm. and anxiety. If I don't know the diagnosis or I don't know the right thing to do, to be completely open and honest mm. and say, hey, listen, it could be one of these things. I don't know. What is the right decision? I don't know. We have to work on this together, and we have to enlist the help of Dr. Bothan and a bunch of other people. And, you know, that actually really, I think, enriches my practice and does help decrease that stress and anxiety, decrease some of those burnout type feelings. You talked about kind of your North Stars and finding those passions and those things that really align with you. And one thing I'm dying to talk to you about is grit. I want to hear everything about it because as a woman in medicine. I'm really involved with our women in ophthalmology group. I think most of our podcast listeners are ophthalmologists, and so they probably heard of ophthalmology Mm -hmm. or women in ophthalmology. And I think a lot of the WIO principles probably align with the grit infrastructure and the conference. But just for our listeners, can you tell us what the initiative is, what it is, and all these things, and we'll have like 100 new attendees next year. (laughs) Absolutely. Anything to get more people at grit. (laughs) As I was sharing earlier... Of course, I've had my fair share of, trust me, disillusionment and need to pivot and just redefining my path and purpose. So I've had my fair share of the down days. And very early on in my career, uh, I was very fortunate to experience sort of this broad peer mentoring group where a bunch of women physicians from across career stages kind of thought that, you know, we'll come together as a group to support each other. It will be peer-to-peer mentoring model. And our fundamental sort of understanding was that we will be a solution-centered group. Yes, we will talk about, you know, problems that each one of us is facing professionally or personally, but really fundamentally the collective, we, we were looking at collective growth where we were supporting each other and coming up with solutions on the table and not just ruminating over, you know, like what's not working right right now, because that's classic amygdala hijack that we can get into. So we started convening as a group and we called ourselves the Sisterhood Book Club because we said, fine, everybody reads books to find solutions. So we're going to read read books and, you know, podcasts just like this one and, you know, try to find solutions for our day to day issues. We met over months and we quickly started seeing the power of collective energy. It didn't take us long to start experiencing the benefits, the joy, the mentoring, the sponsoring, the coaching, you just name it. It was just a complete package of you're not alone in this. This is just how the world works. There are many facts around a reality. And just because this is my fact, it doesn't make me right or wrong at certain times. So it was an amazing experience. And we started thinking about how to disseminate it and, you know, how not to limit it just to a small group of women physicians at Mayo Clinic. And hence came GRIT because a couple of us had experience as coach directors running um, continuing medical education courses. 
And we started thinking about how do we democratize access to this kind of collective community, which is very solution-centered around challenges and barriers that women specifically face in medicine. So back in 2018, we launched our first GRIT conference, and the GRIT expands to growth, resilience, inspiration, tenacity. Much of the components were guided by our conversations during this book club. We did read one book (laughs) (laughs) Uh, during the book club. But a lot of elements of our learnings from the well-being literature, from resilience, from stress management. So a lot of components kind of came together. And then we realized, you know, if we're going to build a platform, we're going to make it broad so we can serve a lot of our colleagues. Not everybody wants to be a leader in healthcare operations. You know, some people want to soak up the joy of seeing patients day to day and enjoy their careers in medicine. So GRIT really came by as that conference which brought together women who were seeking a platform to find collective solutions to build connection, to build sisterhood, to grow together and have fun along the way too. Yeah, that's really fantastic. I appreciate it. So this is a conference that happens annually. Mm -hmm. This is a conference that happens annually. We took a one-year break during COVID, but quickly came back. There was a lot of demand, and we generally go out in October, and we are getting ready for next month. Uh, We're going to be at the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia. If you haven't been there yet, oh, my God. You want to make it happen. All right. So people have opportunities for grit and the women in ophthalmology. Share just broadly with your expertise. You talk about resilience, and I think grit seems like it's a tool Mm -hmm. to help you people reflect, partner, and be better equipped in their practices with resilience. But Mm -hmm. for practitioners and a lot of our audiences, ophthalmologists, what tangible things would you ask them to think about their life? Because it may not even there may not be a solution tomorrow. Yeah. But in terms of their own reflection over their personal journey and their resilience, what reflections would you encourage them to think about and what resources would you ask them to turn to to continue to have joy? Yeah, I think for me, joy means something probably very different than you, Dr. Tuli, and maybe different for you. So I do want to start with every human story is unique. One of the things I've personally learned is there is no cookie cutter recipe of like, this is your recipe for joy. So my biggest thing is joy comes differently to different people. But my biggest reminder to everyone who's listening to us and something I keep telling myself, in fact, I write it in big bold letters is do not postpone your joy. Because what evidently happens on a day-to-day basis, what are the kind of things you're thinking about when you get back home? Oh, I should not have said this to this person. Oh, I wonder why they said this. I wonder what happened to my patient. Oh, my God, I've got to go back and do a case now that's gotten rescheduled five times since morning. So there is, by design, you know, we are all predisposed to amygdala hijack. And our day-to-day sort of recollection of our experiences in medicine tend to be five times more negative than positive. And, and if you think about it cumulatively, and this is not just unique to healthcare, this is just unique for human beings in general. Because we work so closely with human suffering and that's the nature of our job, you know, we do have some 
learned helplessness of how we remember things from our work days. So my biggest thing is joy comes differently to different people. For me, it is a walk down to our staff room, which we call the river room, and grab a beverage and bump into a friend whom I haven't seen for ages. I will schedule time to go down to that break room and bump into somebody and check in with somebody whom I haven't seen. Does that bring me joy more than anything during the day? Oh, absolutely. Bursting into a laughter with my patients and, you know, having some heart-to-heart talks and building time for humor. That's joy for me. Yes, we have joy cards with candy and stuff floating around. (laughs) I love those. So there isn't like this recipe. It's actually more simple than complex. And I like to keep things simple. And my biggest thing is do not postpone your joy. And then tell your brain over and over again, when you're having a joyous experience, zoom in and hold on to it for the longest possible time. Mm -hmm. If we are having an unpleasant experience because we know our brain is going to hold on to it much longer and more tighter than the other positive experience, my biggest reminder to myself, and I'd love to share this with our listeners, is to zoom out. Tell yourself this is not going to last forever, you know, and will this matter five years from now? If the answer is no, just zoom out. So these are very simple techniques. They are called Zizo, Z-I-Z-O, zoom in and zoom out. Hmm. You can do a nice joy dance throughout the day. Don't postpone your joy. Zoom in when things are feeling right, when things are feeling good, and then zoom out when they're not, because we're going to have both of those experiences throughout the day. Mm, One more thing I want to circle back to before, because we have more to talk about. I know, I love it. You commented previously, you do such a nice job of framing just the balance of suffering, resilience, joy, and and your career has been shaped through those passions and reflections. I was just in India, Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to spend some time at a leprosy hospital in Tamil Nadu. One of the surgeons there in uh, decades past was a surgeon named Paul Brand, he wrote a book on the gift nobody wants. And it was reflected over how leprosy is a disease that you lose pain. Mm-hmm. And in fact, pain is a blessing for us wow. yeah. physically. And then it, that book went into the spiritual aspects of pain. You also just brought up how you know we have physical, emotional, and spiritual injuries and journeys. And just ask... Here at Mayo or for physicians across the country, we all come from a different side of that. But oftentimes in healthcare, the spiritual mm-hmm. reflections are hard to bring in professionally, certainly, and mm-hmm. with patient care. I love your just reflection on that aspect of how, as a medicine community, we are sensitive to and invite the importance of people's spirituality in their suffering. Yeah, you're hitting on such an important part. I mean, that's the core of what we do. You know, everything, for example, at Mayo, it's human-centered care. Now, whether we use a platform model to increase access to care to people across the world, or we do it in a brick and mortar, like Mm -hmm. you come to my clinic and I'm going to talk to you, the core is human-centered care. And I would say as we are exploring and, you know, we are looking at transforming healthcare, this is going to be a key component for us to retain in our profession, the human-centeredness of care. That is one thing that never gets old. 
it's not a fad. It's not talk of the day that it was great to talk about it 10 years ago versus today versus tomorrow. That's fundamentally why you or I, we decided to go into medicine, right? Like I didn't go into medicine saying I'm going to see 10 patients, you know, uh, before, you know, in the morning and 10 in the evening. No, my whole idea of going into medicine was I wanted to help alleviate human suffering. Yeah. There is a certain level of interaction with learning the science. You have to get nerdy. You've got to acquire knowledge. And you have to be tech savvy. I think as we explore ways of reaching out to our patients, minimizing the scut work in medicine, which honestly is what leads to a lot of the burnout and depersonalization, with, which robs us of spirituality, But here's our opportunity of appropriately bringing automation and other tools so we can focus on the human component of care. And I hear this debate over, like, is AI going to make us less humane in delivery of care? My thinking is actually quite contrarian. I mean, I truly believe that it will allow us to bring the kind of humane tools we'd like to, because right now our time... Mm-hmm. And our efforts are going into things that are better off getting automated in the background so we can focus on sure. spirituality. So I think where we are today, we are at an inflection point with our capabilities. We are at a point where we can enhance our productivity so that we can focus more on the humane components of medicine and talks like these. At Mayo, we have a wonderful program of humanities in medicine, spirituality in medicine, and more and more I see them partnering with artificial intelligence groups. And for example, our Office of Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity, and I think that's the real power when we bring everything together, because human experience is at the intersection of how well we use all of these resources that are available to us today. We're running short on time, but I I want you to kind of close. I learned so much from this talk. What advice do you have to the kind of mid-career physician for reducing stress, anxiety, increasing well-being, finding joy, all of those things? With, With all of your wisdom, what do you say to that kind of private practice, maybe not in a big institution like Mayo? Yeah. How do you get back to that goodness and find that core that brings us all the medicine that you talk about? Yeah, that's such a loaded question, (laughs) Dr. Tooley. You know, I'll go back to my earlier comment around don't postpone your joy and then use zoom in, zoom out. One of my big inspirations in me personally understanding human suffering has been Brene Brown. She does a lot of work on shame resilience, and she's the guru on human uh, vulnerability. And one of the things that has always stuck with me, and we used to discuss this during rounds, like every day on rounds, we used to have brown pearls. You know, we, we used to talk about something with vulnerability. What I found very helpful personally and with my learners was living big, as in B-I-G. So the B is having healthy boundaries that allow us to have integrity and generosity to our patients, to our colleagues, to our family members. This is like universally applicable if we do this well. If we can live big, have appropriate boundaries. I am not responsible for making every human being that I interact with a better version of themselves. You know, I have to understand in my interaction with my patients, how do I maintain 
my highest level of integrity and generosity. So I draw my boundaries appropriately. And I tell them up front, like, I want to be your partner in this. And I also don't want to get burnt out addressing too much of what's going on in their life. But we come up with where I can be most effective. But then I use the same principle with my husband and my two boys, where it's been a great learning experience raising two teenage boys. I use the same principle. I'm like, okay, I'm not here to fix all the teenage issues. I'm here to support you when you're ready to have a chat with me and I'm not going to judge you. My relationship with my kids is the most important to me. So I think living big to me, it surpasses what professional roles we play. For me, it has been really powerful. So I want to leave our listeners with at least um, trying that, you know, living big and, and inviting them to try that out. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. We'll certainly live big. I just want to thank you for sharing. There are a couple other aspects of your life that I look forward to having you back on as a podcast. Yes, eventually on, part two. Per, part two, and just appreciate your uh, reflection on, on just what shaped your career and how you can help others through their resilience and joy. It's been such a joy. Thank you both so much for all that you're doing. I've heard your episodes. They are just phenomenal. Please keep doing this good work. I'm a big believer in podcasts, and I really want to congratulate you for all the great work you're doing. Thanks for being part of the mix. Thank you. You can find all episodes of the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology Podcast on our website. Thank you for listening, and we definitely look forward to sharing more 